Hello, and welcome to the Middle Market Podcast. I'm Catherine Perloff. And I'm Bill Weisbrot. Today, we're joined by Ted Goldthorpe, CEO of Portman Ridge Finance Corporation, a business development company. Portman Ridge has acquired three BDCs in the past two years, most recently closing the acquisition of Garrison Capital in October 2020. In December, the firm announced it was acquiring a fourth BDC, Harvest Capital. Ted is here to discuss the firm's recent deals and consolidation within the BDC space more broadly. Just to note, Portman Ridge is an affiliate of BC Partners, which owns a minority stake in Acuris. How are you today, Ted? Very good, thank you. Great, thanks so much for uh, being on the podcast. So just to start, so how much do you think the pandemic and associated economic climate has triggered a wave of BDC consolidation versus other pre-pandemic triggers? Yeah, I think it's a combination of, of both uh, of both things, but I think a lot of it was happening pre-pandemic, which is our business has become increasingly, uh, it's increasingly important to have scale. You know, our private equity sponsors are growing. They're constantly asking us to hold bigger and bigger hold sizes. And so because of that, if you're a small, you know, if you have a small capital base, it's just very, very hard to be relevant in today's climate. So I think, you know, scale, scale is just hard to operate these businesses at low scale from a competitive perspective and also just from an economic perspective. You know, just compliance fees and public company costs and everything else. So I think this is a wave that's been coming for a while. And I think the pandemic accelerated it for some people just because, you know, last year was a tough fundraising year for most people. And therefore, you, you know, any hope that some of these platforms had of growing or of turning the business around, you know, were kind of just set back a little bit by the pandemic. But I think this is a theme that's been going on for, you know, at least the last two or three years. On the broader direct lending space, it has also, was also becoming increasingly crowded you know, prior to the in, the, in the years leading up to the pandemic. Was that dynamic a uh, driver of consolidation for, for BDCs in particular? I think, you know, like it, it was becoming increasingly crowded, but I think, you know, we've gone back to what I would say a normal level of competition. You know, everybody used to compete with each other and everybody's, it feels like a lot of the platforms have began to move into different niches. So some, some BDCs have gone way up market, like an Alrock or an Aries or a Golub. And some who stay true in the middle market like ourselves. And so, you know, we just don't bump into each other the way we used to. And so, you know, people people all look at the amount of capital that's been raised in private lending, but they, they you know, you need, number one, you need to look at how much money has been raised in private equity. So, you know, private credit is lagged on many metrics in a fundraising perspective. And then number two is, you know, deals that were formerly syndicated, a lot of those deals now are going to quote unquote direct lenders. So, you know, there is, you're seeing 500 million, 700, $800 million deals getting done by one or two alternative lenders, which was never the case five or six years ago. And so I think, you know, banks, I mean, the big, the big factor has been banks, like banks have really pulled out of our business. So we used to compete against banks and now we don't. And so I, I wouldn't, I don't describe the environment as, as overly competitive. Like, I think, the, I think the environment is, I mean, there's like obviously competition out there. And a lot of our peers are very smart, but I don't, I don't think there's an undue amount of competition. And I think that just reflects in returns, right? I mean, if you, if you look at direct lending returns or private credit returns last year, you know, they just had another stable, solid year. And I'd be very surprised when final numbers come out if most direct lenders didn't beat the liquid markets. And so, you know, spreads continue to be much wider in illiquid credit. And, you know, why pay for liquidity when you can get paid for illiquidity? So, uh, you know, spreads are still pretty wide. 
Got it. Um, so shifting the focus to some of uh, Portman Ridge's recent deals, um, you know, Garrison closed in October. That they had been struggling for a bit. Um, you know, crystallized by uh, last year no or November um, 2019, share there was a shareholder letter calling for the BDC to liquidate, and then they announced strategic alternatives. At what point did Portman Ridge begin to look at Garrison as an acquisition target in that sort of extended timeline and what made it an attractive investment? Yeah, we probably started looking at the, the end of 2019. I mean, I think there's a, just a big, a, a lot of these, you know, as, if you're a public company and you have a misstep or you have, you know, one or two bad quarters of performance, it's very hard to recover. And so when we actually did diligence on Garrison, you know, we thought their book was actually pretty clean and actually pretty accurately marked. And so when we did the Garrison transaction, you know, one thing that really helped us was COVID because when, when the volatility happened in March, you know, which we announced the deal soon after that, you know, it became very important about certainty of execution. And obviously we had done uh, both the Oak Hill deal and the Kohlberg deal earlier. You know, people know, know we're, we're going to close and, you know, I'm the decision maker. So they knew I was going to, you know, close the deal. So I would say Garrison's been a home run for us and our shareholders. You know, it's a, it, it, it got us to a much bigger scale. It gives our stock a much bigger float and more liquidity. And most importantly, you know, it, we just get operating leverage from public company costs. So, you know, we save money on financing. You know, we only have to hire one CFO. We only need one, um, you know, audit. And so there's a lot of NII accretion for our shareholders. And so just, it was a great transaction for us on a number of levels. Now, of course, I don't want to say we got lucky, but obviously we felt really, really good about our underwriting. But obviously the market has done really well since, uh, since we announced the transaction. And so, you know, that's obviously made the deal even more attractive. So, you know, obviously we closed the deal, I think in October. So since October, obviously credit markets have continued to, to rally. And that uh, that's really, really good for our shareholders. Yeah, that's really interesting, um, you know, given the volatility in the markets during, uh, right, right, you know, right when you announced the Garrison deal um, or maybe shortly after. You know, interesting that you're able to get the process done, and then went into another process. Um, you know, Harvest was the deal recently announced last month. They also, you know, publicly had they had uh, announced they you know faced some pressures from lenders, though they didn't have quite as formal announcement. There was no strategic alternatives process, at least like publicly announced in their filings. Um, so, how is this deal making process distinct from Garrison? or maybe it was similar, and what was the investment thesis for Harvest? Yeah, so Harvest is a little different. You know, the one thing I'd say about all these M&A processes, you know, because we've done, you know, four or five BDC mergers, and we've also done a bunch of acquisitions away from this, is, you know, corporate boards or BDC boards really care about outcomes for shareholders. And so the board is very involved with all these processes. So Harvest was a bit of a interesting one because, you know, you obviously have the manager own a lot of the stock. So one of the key constituents in that case is actually the manager, but the board was also very focused on making sure, you know, the shareholders got the best value. So Harvest, Harvest is a different part of the market than we typically plan. They're, they focus more on the smaller middle market. And when we looked at it, you know, again, same thing, like, you know, we thought uh, it's mostly first lane debt. We thought the valuations that they were put, putting forth were, you know, where we would value things. And again, you know, they were, they were struggling a little bit just due to the fact that it was a small public company. They roll onto the Portman platform, all of a sudden, now they get now they get the same kind of operating leverage and synergies we were talking about before. So, you know, their shareholders get access to a team of, you know, 22 people versus, you know, a smaller team. So that's number one, obviously. 
And number two is, you know, again, we can eliminate all the public company costs for them, which uh, you know is very synergistic for, for their shareholders. Are there any uh, characteristics in particular that you look for when evaluating uh, an acquisition target? And do you primarily look at BDC acquisition opportunities you know, when, when there is an auction going on or, or an M&A process going on, or, or do you ever proactively approach um, BDC managers or, or boards? I think both. You know, I think, I think you know, obviously, I know most of our, my peers because we're all in the same industry and same business and, you know, are sometimes in the same deals. And, you know, like it's, it's running a BDC is, is not an easy thing. And uh, it's just good to know your peers, just get advice on, on you know, just advice on, on uh, things they're seeing, things they're doing, best practices, things like that. So it's a relatively tight community. So I know a lot of the managers. So you know, we are in frequent dialogue with a lot of the managers. So when these processes begin, they know us, right? So like, you know, a number of these processes, like Garrison, you know, I've known Joe Tanzi, who's a CEO. I've known him for, you know, many, many years, even pre-Garrison. So, you know, like there's a human element to this a little bit, because again, you have to trust that the person you're dealing with is going to close and uh, is going to not retrade you and all that kind of thing uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it's a combination of both. Some of them are some of them are bilateral negotiations and some of them are part of the process. But again, any public company process has to go through a real process, you know, just because the board has to do its duty. Are there any can you when you're you know looking at an, at another BDC or another portfolio and thinking you know this is something we might want to acquire, you know are there any you know characteristics you look for overarching themes that that make make it an attractive target? Yeah, I mean, the key is underwriting. You know, the key is we we go through their book and really want to get behind their underwriting assumptions, the quality of the book. You know, like look at our valuations versus their valuations. And, um, you know, again, all the BDCs that we purchased uh, or merged with, uh, in all of those cases, you know, we felt like it, it, it hit, hit all those characteristics. So we want to we do it with that with companies that we understand the assets. So like, you know, we don't want to do it with, you know, like if the underlying investments were a bunch of venture capital investments, which is other BDCs who have those, you know, it's not really our business. And so um, we, just wouldn't, we just wouldn't do a deal with a BDC like that. So, you know, it's, it's loans that look and feel very, very similar to what we do. And we can obviously underwrite them, and uh, it obviously making sure the valuations are matched with uh, our views of the, their valuations match up with our view of the valuations. Yeah, I mean, how much time do you spend on, on each individual credit? I mean, any specifics you can give on how uh, you know, do you look at each each portfolio of company's financials, or you know, how, how much? I you know, can you just talk us through the specifics on the process of looking at each under underlying uh, portfolio credit, and and you know how you come to a judgment on whether or not that's something you'd want to bring in-house? Yeah, of course. I mean, the, the chief investment office of our BDC uh, typically, you know, gets a download of every single uh, underwriting memo. And again, around a BDC, there's a lot of process that goes into valuation. So a lot of the materials are, are always at the, at the ready. And then we basically take our team, you know, again, we have 22 investment professionals. We can take our team and they can underwrite the individual loans and uh, come back with their views around valuation. And so we do a bottoms-up analysis that aggregate into a total valuation. And as I said, like, you know, obviously there's always disagreements about certain names, but by and large, our valuations tend to match uh, the aggregate valuation of, of these companies. I mean, these companies go through a lot of scrutiny, right? They have a, they, obviously the board is, has a lot of scrutiny, but, you know, the auditors go through the numbers. A lot of, a lot of loans are, are valued by uh, independent third parties. So, so generally speaking, our valuations tend to match. So we wouldn't understand... You know what risks are really, really taking? 
you know, are, is it like make sure we're not taking kind of concentrated risks to any one specific industry or sector. And so, yeah, so, so generally speaking, these, these portfolios tend to be pretty diversified. And um, in the case of Oak Hill and Garrison, a lot of the portfolio is liquid. So, you know, we sold 40% of the Oak Hill portfolio within a couple of weeks of close. And we sold about 100 million of assets in Garrison very soon after close to get our leverage back to where we want it to be. In terms of, uh, right, so in terms of looking at individual credits, obviously you're going to run into some that are struggling or maybe have been on non-accrual. What is the, you know, the best approach for a new management team coming in to work with these credits? Um, is it, you know, selling it out, selling some, trying to sell some of them off or, you know, getting in restructuring professionals or how do you, how, how's the best way to kind of deal with those problem credits? Yeah, I mean, typically the non-accruals are hard to sell, right? Because, you know, there's not a lot of, uh, buyers out there for, you know, just basically what is distressed or stressed middle market loans. So we're really good at working things out. You know, I used to run Goldman Sachs' distressed business. You know, uh, one of my founding partners also worked on that desk with me. So we do have a workout slash distressed background. And a lot of times we'll take the people too. So like, you know, in, in, in when we did the KCAP transaction, which is Kohlberg's business, you know, we ended up taking a number of people from that firm. So I, like, I, I really like having continuity. Uh, they know the they know the borrowers. They know the uh, they know the companies. They've been around them for a long time, and so you, you know it's typically pretty seamless from from the client perspective. Include on these workouts. You know, oftentimes these workouts take a long time because you're constantly doing amendments. You're constantly you know helping them and everything else. It's good to have continuity with people. Mm hmm. So you're talking about kind of like the community and the human aspect of, you know, deal making. And I'm sure you're familiar or, you know, as you were saying, um, with other BDC managers. But how do you compete against some of the larger BDCs when you, uh, you know, an acquisition target comes up? Uh, there obviously are larger BDCs by market cap out there. So do you see that as like, you know, an active competition or these things kind of emerge? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, listen, you'd be surprised at how competitive these processes are. And so, so there's two there's two ways we've been able to win. Number one is a lot of people think our stock is good value. So, you know, when you're, if you're the seller and you're taking stock from somebody else, they have to get comfortable not only with your valuations too, but also with your stock price. And so a lot of the um, buyers have, have gotten comfortable with that. And maybe they haven't had the same kind of feeling about some other companies. So I would say that's number one. In terms of larger BDCs, yeah, I mean, listen, scale is really important. So, so a big knock against us early on, and which is not an issue anymore now that we have you know close to a billion dollars of assets, is just scale. Like you know, one of the reasons why you know small BDCs just trade uh, at a lower multiple than mid-market and large BDCs, it's just a fact of life. You know, it's due to liquidity and due to a bunch of different factors, efficiency. So, um, yeah, we're up against a larger BDC. We've been able to win. And the way we've been able to win is by, you know, again, certainty of close. You know, like if you're doing, if you're, if you're competing with somebody who's a very, very large organization, typically the person you're dealing with there is a nice person and they're ethical and everything else, but they don't necessarily make the decisions. And so, you know, if a big, big, big asset management firm decides to go a different direction or they may not close or they may retrade or something else. And again, doing business with us, like, you know, I'm the guy working on it. They know me. I'm making the decision, like, you know, I, I could change my mind, but I'm not going to be, it's not like, you know, BC Partners is going to come and force me to change my decision. So I think the big guys have had a hard time convincing some of the sellers that they'll actually close. I say, I say all that, I mean, I don't think Aries really cares about any of these little BCs. I mean, they can just do an equity ocean. TSLX, you know, run by Josh Easterly, you know, one of the best managers in space. 
you know, like you can just like for him to take on a small little BDC like this doesn't make any sense. Like he can go just issue stock. So when I make my comments, it's not to, it's not to say that we, you know, are, are outmaneuvering our peers. It's, it's just saying like a lot of the, a lot of the best in class BDCs. I mean, these, these are these acquisitions just don't do anything for them. You know, it's a lot of work, a lot of time, and you know, doesn't really do anything for them. So just kind of like thinking about as you're saying, asset managers thinking about whether to bring in another BDC in, uh, there has been an overall trend in the market towards asset managers merging, especially given the popularity of ETFs and passive investment vehicles to attract, you know, maybe attracting some a larger share of institutional dollars. Do you think that BDC consolidation speaks to this larger trend within asset manager space or is it distinct? Um, yeah. No, it's exactly, it's the same theme, you know, compliance costs, legal costs, you know, investor relations teams, you, you know, it's just, it's become harder to raise money, scales become more important, running a platform like mine has become way more expensive. And that's not just compensation costs, I'm talking about, you know, again, legal compliance, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So all these factors lead uh, to consolidation. Um, you know, the huge LPs out there are really trying to consolidate the number of people they do business with. So, you know, there's a large LP of ours who had 200 different GPs in credit, and they're trying to shrink that to 50. So if you're a small, if you're a small credit manager, you know, you're not going to be left on that list, and somebody like an Apollo will be left on the list. So, you know, there is, there, there's becoming an increasing advantage to being, to being large. And when I, now, now you have to balance that versus getting best-in-class returns. So I'm a big believer that, you know, if you get too big, you're sacrificing returns. And that's not, not something we're willing to do for our shareholders. So just why is buying and, you know, consolidating BDCs the best use of, of capital from when, you know, from, from where you sit compared to other, you know, other types of investments you could make um, or other ways to grow AUM, you know, given, you know, the market valuations at present and where they were, you know, at the time you, you did those deals? Yeah, I think the market, um, you know, listen, like, you know, we don't want to be in the business of just issuing tons of stock. Like, it's just not what our shareholders want us to be doing. And doing these mergers is incredibly good for our shareholders. You know, like, you know, the Garrison deal was mid-single digits accretive, you know, and we don't have to do anything. Let's just, like, doing the merger. So, you know, one of the reasons we do these is it, it's it's really good for our shareholders. It helps us as the manager strategically, because, again, I can take bigger hold sizes and be more relevant to my counterparties. But for our shareholders, you know, these deals are very accretive. So, you know, it's helpful with income, dividend coverage, all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people buy my stock or buying it for the dividend. So, you know, other ways to grow AUM, like, you know, you can issue stock and you get some other things, but you don't get the same kind of synergy. You know, if I go issue stock at book, which by the way, our stock doesn't even trade there, but if it did, you know, you don't really get earnings accretion from that. You get a little bit of earnings accretion, but, you know, the way, but by doing these mergers, you, you get real earnings accretion. Well, uh, I think this kind of covers a lot of the topics we were thinking of. Is there any other thoughts you want to share about BDC consolidation or Portman Ridge's strategy? No, I don't think so. I mean, I mean, consolidation is a great thing for the space. You know, the world's institutionalizing. You know, if you roll back 10 years, most BDCs were run by a, by a single company or a single guy, you know, or, or woman. Now, you know, you've got Bain, you've got Carlisle, you've got KKR, you've Black, like you have all the biggest and best alternative asset managers in the space. And that's a great thing. You know, it's the, the world's going to institutionalize the, um, you know, there's no way that, that KKR is not going to mark their, their uh, they're, they're going to value their book incorrectly. And so that's really good because what, you know, it should make the sector trade better. 
And the bigger the sector, uh, the more relevance it is for shareholders, the better it is for all of us because we'll trade better. So I think consolidation is a great thing. I think that the analyst community has been very supportive. I think shareholders have been very supportive. And again, it all is about execution. But, you know, we've done three acquisitions, all of which have worked out really well for our shareholders. And Harvest, you know, knock on wood, will close and then probably bang or something. You know, it's, it's, you know, I think it's, it's a really, really good thing for the space. I think shareholders of both companies benefit. And I think, um, I think it's just good for the overall sector. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I think we all learned a lot. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. Yep, you too.